You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you're a 415er, you're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415, hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What is going on, everyone? Welcome into another edition of the 415ers podcast. As always, on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game, that is Mark Brandy. I'm Evan Giddings. We're coming at you two times a week here on the Odyssey app as well as the 95.7 The Game YouTube channel. Please download, rate, and subscribe to both. We're going to be getting into, uh, Mark, some, some conversation about you know some, some future discussions, the age of the 49ers, uh, the age of one of their particular players and star-studded players, George Kittle. We're also going to take a look at I don't know, maybe what they might need to address, whether it's now or later as it pertains to the trade market. Uh, Before we get into all that here on this, as we're recording it Wednesday, but Thursday episode for those of you listening. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, It feels like the beginning of a week because uh, I hope most of you all uh, listening had Tuesday, the 4th of July off. I know you and I did, which was a very nice uh thing to happen in the middle of a week but it feels like a monday so this feels like the first episode of the week kind of um but regardless excited looking forward to another episode yeah we're doing two episodes a week in the off season we're starting to get kind of close to when we'll ramp up to three episodes per week when the season actually begins i know we're still a couple of months away but i'm looking forward to that as well training camps what three weeks away now just about which is really exciting as well um, so I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited. You got a nice reprieve from the 4th of July, but we're back to the, back to the grind now. And I'm looking forward to it. How are you, Evan? I'm good. No, I think that's a good way to put it is it feels like the beginning of a week, but it's a short week. And so I hope everyone out there that is listening, whether you got the days off, I know a few of my friends also like us, Mark had to work on Monday. Yeah. So it's sort of a three and four abbreviated <laughs> half week. Uh, but then again, I was at work today and was kind of, you know, looking around sports content might be a little light at this time, but never, of course, on the 415ers. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, gosh, you know, what are we going to come up with on Tuesday? And then I looked up and I realized, well, tomorrow is actually Thursday. So <laughs> the end of the week is near, but the content continues to pour in. And, and Mark, where we wanted to start today was a conversation about George Kittle, because uh, Trey Lance made a bit of news. He sat down with NBC Sports Bay Area to discuss his experience at Titan University, which is kind of a, a new um, program put together by George Kittle, along with Travis Kelsey and Greg Olson, all three famed tight ends. And it's just a three-day event. People are able to go out, learn about the position, work on their skills, yada, yada. But Trey Lance made an appearance there for the 49ers this year, was doing a lot of media content. And... Amidst many interviews, as well as uh, statements that he was involved in, kind of discussed George Kittle as maybe one of the more difficult 49ers to pass the ball to. I think the quote was uh, probably one of the toughest guys I've had to throw to. And so I thought it'd be kind of a cool jumping off point. Like, do you think that George Kittle is first uh, the most difficult 49er to, to throw the ball to? Do you take Trey Lance at his word? Well, I'm I'm just trying to dig through this comment because I at first glance I don't know if this is I mean I I know that Trey Lance meant it as a compliment. Yeah, I don't I don't think it was a shot. Like 100, percent he meant it as a compliment. And if you if you listen to a little bit more of it, 
He said his explosiveness and speed and everything, just his ability to make plays is probably one of the toughest guys I've had to throw to. So he 100% meant that as a compliment. But when you think about it, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the guys that are explosive and quick, they get away from their opponents. They're great route runners. They give you space to throw it to. It feels like those should be the guys that are easier to throw to. But maybe George Kittle just so much on a different level. He's a, a level of quickness and speed and physical physicality that Trey Lance has just never experienced that it, it takes some getting used to. I don't know. Uh, but but for me, even before I can dig into what this means about about George Kittle, I'm just trying to figure out what the hell this actually means just in general. Is this a good thing? Is this a, do you want to be difficult to throw to? Because I think logic says no. If you're a you're a receiver, you're a tight end, you're a running back that's catching passes. You want to make your quarterback's job as easy as possible. And I mean, all of the best receivers in the game, I feel like they get compliments from their quarterbacks saying well you know he just makes it uh you know easy for me he's always open he creates so much separation i can put it in just a you know a an eight foot radius this guy's got a wingspan like yao ming he can grab anything like i feel like that's generally the compliments that you get from your quarterbacks uh again i i guarantee this was meant as a compliment from trey lance but it kind of comes across as yeah i don't know if you really were an elite you know ball catcher receiver tight end like i feel like you might make it easier on your quarterback yeah i don't think this was intended to be divisive but the way that the headlines <laughs> have been aggregated mark it absolutely comes off at that and, and maybe yes. that's the point but i think it's more of um, and, and like you mentioned, I mean, Trey Lance is completely complimentary when he throws this, this line in there. It's because George Kittle is so explosive and speedy and, you know, very unique as a tight end, which are all things I believe him to be true. Uh, I, I kind of take it more as uh, Trey Lance hasn't played with a lot of talent in his life. Um, you know, you playing at the FCS level, I've had a chance to, to see North Dakota state. They're a machine, but of course in the, overall scheme of NCAA football, yes, there is a reason why they're at the <laughs> FCS level. So, yes, he's never had a chance to throw to someone like George Kittle or anybody that has played for the tight end U. Because let's be honest, Mark, I think this idea is pretty cool and where it's based in, which is tight end university. George Kittle is one of the main proponents of it. It was started in 2021, and they take the name essentially from what they do still and have always kind of called Iowa University because you're getting the big boys from there. You got George Kittle, uh, Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson also uh -huh. went to Iowa, as well as a, a variety of other you know quality tight ends. But a lot of guys seem to come from there. And so that's where the nickname comes from. And then I believe originally the idea of it was a response to kind of these different uh, positional summits that have been started in the last five to 10 years. There was a I forget which one came first, but there's a pass rushing summit, which is spearheaded by Vaughn Miller and an offensive line summit, which is spearheaded by Lane Johnson. And I forget which was a response to the other, but I'm pretty sure other people saw, you know, the, the guys that they're going up against every single week saying, well, that they're all getting together. They're putting their heads together. They're trying to get better. We should do the same. And then George Kittle, along with Travis Kelsey and then Greg Olson, who's now retired, said we should kind of get the idea brewing for the tight end. So I think it's really cool that they're all doing this. Uh, but to me, I, I don't see it as a whole negative towards Kittle. Um, the one thing that 
maybe I guess you could point to Mark is the fact that when Brock Purdy was throwing George Kittle the ball, he didn't look very difficult to throw to. In fact, he actually has caught more touchdowns per game with Brock Purdy than any other quarterback in 49ers uh, history that he's had a chance to play with. So I don't know, maybe you read more into that than the actual uniqueness of what Trey Lance was there to quote unquote cover. Yeah, maybe. Uh, the other thing that I was thinking of was, well, okay, let's think about the 49ers offense and maybe, maybe by default, maybe just by what each, you know, receiver, tight end, running back are asked to do. Maybe what George Kittle is asked to do just simply results in the most difficult passes. Maybe it's nothing to do with the individual George Kittle. Maybe it's just within the offense. I'm not so sure that, that was um, my, where my mind went. But as I thought about it a little bit more, I mean, I think generally Brandon Ayuk maybe would be the difficult, most difficult to throw to in relation to how they're used in the offense. I mean, Ayuk is more of a consistent deep threat, not necessarily a, you know, a, a burner who's just going to run a streak down the sideline and, and, you know, ask for the ball 50 yards through the air. But I think generally like average depth of target, it would be Brandon Ayuk, but Kittle is probably certainly catching the ball deeper down the field than say Debo Samuel, who oftentimes does a ton of his work around the line of scrimmage. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey is a capable receiver even down the field, but he's going to do the majority of his damage through the passing game close to the line of scrimmage as well. So perhaps just by default, based on the way that this 49ers offense is schemed up, Kittle generally perhaps a little bit more difficult to throw to than Debo Samuel, than Christian McCaffrey. Again, I'm not so sure I'd go as far as saying Brandon Ayuk. I think they're probably relatively complementary. Ayuk and Kittle are in that regard, um, but maybe it, maybe it's just part of that as well because where George Kittle is is at his best is generally an area of the field that is a little bit more difficult to get the ball to. So maybe it's just as simple as the the way that the 49ers scheme things up for their offense. Um, but I'm one, I'm 100 with you. Uh, Trey Lance was trying his best to be very complimentary, as he always is. He always says the right things. I think he was trying to say the right thing this time. It just came across a little awkwardly, but maybe it's just as simple as, as the way the Niners offense works in the first place. Yeah, it's interesting. When I thought of the most difficult 49er to throw the ball to, well, first my mind goes, okay, who's playing closest to the line of scrimmage? So that's probably going to eliminate Christian McCaffrey. At least you'd hope that the closest to the yeah. line of scrimmage passes are the easiest ones to complete. Kittle's a little more down the field. Uh, to me, Ayuk with his ability as an as a route runner, at least when I think of where a quarterback has to go with the ball, it's all about timing, right? So if mm -hmm. you're a precise route runner, you're probably going to be in the right place at the right time. And Ayuk also does a great job of creating separation. So I don't necessarily think he'd be that difficult to throw to, even if it's more down the field beyond 10 yards. The first place my mind went to, Mark, was Debo Samuel, because if I don't know this to be true, but I feel like if there's any positional player on that team that would operate a bit more off script, which is also why I believe him to be so good, because I think Debo Samuel is someone that can turn, you know, a broken play into a 55 yard touchdown. And that's something that you can't scheme for as a defense. It also might make it difficult to get the ball into his hands when he wants it, because he might be the first or the second read, but he also might not operate on the same offensive script as maybe some of those other players. So for me, 
when I hear the question of who's the most difficult to throw the ball to, Kittle doesn't necessarily come up. Uh, it actually is someone like Debo. Yeah, no, that, yeah, I mean, I think back on some of like uh, Debo Samuel's more, I don't know, highlight worthy plays. There was the one last season. What was it? Week four. It was after Monday the night. Yeah, the Monday night game. It was the week after the disaster in Denver, which was week three. So week four at home, Monday night. It wasn't oh, – it was a week four game, obviously not a must win, but it was a really important game. The 49ers had looked terrible for a lot of the season up to that point. Jimmy Garoppolo was kind of facing, you know, the the music once again. Uh, and, and the Niners come out and absolutely dominate the Rams in, in thanks in part because of that incredible Debo Samuel play. I forget exactly. It must have been like a 40-yard touchdown, but it was just a simple throw over the middle – I shouldn't say simple. I think Jimmy Garoppolo was under pressure and you're right. It was kind of a broken play off script play. He kind of threw it up and I'm I'm not sure if it was Jalen Ramsey, but there was someone there who easily could have intercepted it. Debo Samuel kind of went up wildly, grabbed it spun and then ran, broke a couple of tackles all the way into the end zone. So you're right. Debo Samuel kind of makes a living on broken plays like that as well. Um, So yeah, maybe on average. And also he's maybe not the, greatest route runner on the team so the odds are there's going to be less separation between him and the defensive back which in my mind just logically would make the ball more difficult to get him to yeah yeah i don't know it's it's interesting because those off script things i feel like you can almost you can't throw them out but it because but because it's just who debo samuel is like that's what he makes his money doing. And to your point, those off script, off schedule plays and, and the fact that he isn't as good of a route runner as Brandon Ayuk. And he doesn't really wow you physically until he gets the ball in his hands. And then he's like a, a bull running through five different tacklers all at once. And he, before you know it, he's celebrating into the end zone. So I think he kind of catches you off guard in that regard as well. And I don't know. We're kind of getting off topic here about difficult to throw to, but Debo does kind of surprise you with those sorts of plays. Now, my my last thing on on Debo is he seems like the kind of guy that in high school you size up and you're like, (laughs) well, I I can beat this guy in a race or I can, you know, bench press more than this guy. He doesn't seem like he's, he's big and everyone says that he's good at something, but you don't really see it until you get on a lane next to him. You're like, all right, we're going to run a hundred yards, you and me, and we'll just see, you know, I think I can beat you in a race or I think I can bench press more than you. And then you actually get on the bench, you get on the track and he just absolutely dusts you. And you're like, wow, I did not know that this guy was that incredible of an athlete. That's to me how he feels kind of just watching him each week because you're like, he's he's not bigger than any DBs. He's not really faster. And yet he always seems to be burning by guys. And that game speed just shows up. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. And it's a part of the reason I know we'll we'll talk about it eventually as we get through the rest of the offseason. It's part of the reason why I think Debo Samuel is going to have a fantastic season is for that reason. And the fact that he already seems more focused this offseason. I know we talked about last month how he felt like the distractions of last offseason kind of hurt him in terms of his ability in season. I feel like that's not going to be an issue this year. And, and for that reason, I think Debo Samuel is going to have not necessarily a, a comeback year, but he's going to remind everyone why he got the contract that he did. I'm with you.
This is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network 95.7 The Game. Coming at you twice a week here in the offseason. Three times, as Mark mentioned, once the season gets started. It's coming soon. Cannot wait for it. But that's Mark Grandy. I'm Evan Giddings. Please download the Odyssey app. Rate us, subscribe to us, and download the podcast there. Uh, one thing that, I, I, I don't know, just kind of got my mind working mark was was this idea of you know an all-in season um a must-win type of campaign that it feels like a lot of people want the 49ers to get into but we haven't necessarily discussed outside of the quarterback position the age or the experience around a lot of these players and so it just i don't know it was trying to come up with with an idea or a question for the pod today and i started looking at the roster and compared to last year i started noticing there's there's some guys creeping up there in age and there's a guy there's guys with you know contract years coming up but of course because of their experience the amount of years they've played in the nfl so when we pose the question is age at all a concern for the 2023 49ers would you lean more yes or no i would say yes uh and for me it's because age is very very related to your ability to stay healthy and for the 49ers, that has been their Achilles heel under Kyle Shanahan. Now, not all of their injuries have been related to age necessarily. I mean, you think of Nick Bosa, his second year in the league or third year in the league, whatever that was, that was his, his second year in the league when he tore his ACL early in the season, missed that entire season. He's come back and he's been healthy since then. But that's an example of age not really being a factor in terms of a major injury. But generally speaking, I think everyone will agree, the older you get, the more susceptible you are to injury, the uh, slower you bounce back from injury, and perhaps more likely you are to get re-injured once you come back from injury. So the 49ers getting up there in age, 100% is a concern, especially when you consider the fact that the 49ers have been thwarted by injuries just about every single year uh, under Kyle Shanahan. Think back to... The 2019 season, when the 49ers went to the Super Bowl, they were the sixth most injured team that year. They missed the sixth, had had the most sixth most games missed due to injury. The following year, 2020, that was the Nick Bosa torn ACL year, the most injured team in the NFL. 2021, the year where they struggled for a lot of the regular season, snuck into the playoffs, made the NFC Championship game, the third most injured team in the NFL this most recent year of course with all the injuries at quarterback the ninth most injured team in the NFL and again I'll repeat not all of those injuries are simply due to old age but the older that the core of this roster gets I know there's been a lot of talk about George Kittle of course getting up there you know 30 years old Trent Williams nearing retirement at some point as well um Yeah, I'm concerned. I think this is the one, when you look at what could derail this season, I think age slash injury is is the number one killer for this 49ers team. Obviously, there could be wild things that happen that maybe show themselves to be a reason why the 49ers can't get it done this year. But if you were to pick one out of a hat, what's the reason the 49ers underachieve, don't achieve all their goals this year? It's injuries. Uh, So 100% I'm concerned about age. I think that's the one weakness the 49ers have on this roster. It's that they they are relying on a number of positions on veterans who have an injury history. So at first, when I I thought about this, I didn't honestly consider the injury too much. I think that's a good point, though. 
And after doing a little bit of research, I've maybe not done a 180 on it not being a concern, but we'll call it like a 140 on it being a concern because I started looking at some of the teams that have been successful and the average age. I mean, generally, I think you you kind of correlate age with experience and you want that on your team. Uh, but the NFL is so much different than the MLB, NBA, uh, just because bodies break down sooner. So you're absolutely right. Their injury is a concern. But when I try to tackle the question, if it's concerned for the 49ers, I look at last season. They were the 11th oldest team in the NFL. They might not sound all that high, you know, 20 average age of 26 years, nine months. But the next 10 teams, four of which made the playoffs, only one of them won a playoff game. Okay. So that's uh, one, one data point. Uh, the 49ers, when they made the Super Bowl in 2019, were an average age of 25 years and five months. They were in the bottom 10, roughly, of teams. So they were very young considering the average of the league. And looking at the last 10 Super Bowl winners in the NFL, or I should say the oldest Super Bowl winners in the NFL, apologies, you're looking at the oldest team to win, 2019 Patriots, second oldest team, 2021 Buccaneers, third oldest team, 2009 Steelers, after that, 2010 Saints, 2013 Ravens, 2020 Chiefs, 2012 Giants, 2016 Broncos, 2008 Giants. What is the common theme of all of those teams that were old and won the Super Bowl? They had a very good quarterback, a Pantheon-level quarterback for much of those teams. That is something that the 49ers currently do not have. And that's one thing that gives me pause, is when I look at both how the 49ers were last season, how the rest of the teams around their age group did, along with the oldest teams to have won a Super Bowl, it doesn't quite seem to match up. So for me, it's a concern in the sense that I just don't think there's much of a precedent for it, for the 49ers to be you know, Super Bowl caliber at this point. Um, and then as well, to your point about the injuries, I think there's absolutely something there. So is there a concern? Yes, because the data, at least from the research that I've done, would point to there being a reason to being concerned. Yeah, no, 100%. But then you you kind of dig into the, the roster a little bit. I mean, you look at the 49ers starters. How many of them are 30 or more right now? And I know George Kittle is approaching that, but he's not quite there. Trent Williams, over 30. That's on offense. Jake Brendel, over 30. Kyle Juszczyk, over 30. That's it for the starters on offense. I mean, that's not that much the thing is it's your most important offensive lineman you can make the case one of your most important players period uh and then you look on the defensive side of the ball uh over 30 Javon Hargrave and Tayshawn Gibson Hargrave obviously very important Gibson obviously you'd love for him to stay healthy and not have to call into question his age but the 49ers their first draft pick Jair Brown out of Penn State Looks like he could soon potentially take over one of the starting safety spots. So it's it's really not necessarily a, a gigantic numbers issue for the 49ers in terms of just how many guys they have that are over a certain age. 30 is, is the benchmark I'm using, um, but it's that they are in, in really key positions. And, and then you factor in, again, what has happened in the past for the 49ers. 
it, it just seems like it's something that might rear its ugly head again. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't, of course. I mean, consider what the 49ers have accomplished with all of the these injuries. And I, I know this is more about age than injuries, but for me, these two are inexplicably inexplicably bound in my mind. And just imagine what this 49ers team could accomplish and could do if they get a mostly healthy season. And last year, oddly enough, I mean, you take out the quarterback issues, and that was the best season they've had health-wise in the Shanahan era. I mean, I mean, they they lost how many quarterbacks? Two throughout the regular season, but then two more in the postseason. It was wild the way that, that they dropped like flies. But the rest of the team, for the most part, was rel- relatively healthy. Eric Armstead missed a big chunk of the season. That was the big one. Trent Williams missed a game or two here or there. He was hurt at the end of that Broncos game that I referenced earlier. George Kittle missed, what, week one and week two, I think, and then returned week three. Um, but really, you just had minor things the rest of the way, aside from the quarterback room. Uh, and that's an example. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously a veteran, but I, I wouldn't blame his injury on age necessarily it was just an unfortunate play and, and, and the way it happened um but the, the 49ers if they are able to get out of a season evan where you don't look back and say man they're just too old at key positions if that isn't an excuse if that isn't a reason for this team falling short this one season just imagine what they could accomplish we haven't yet really seen that for the 49ers in the Shanahan era. We've spent so much time talking about it. How, you know, who do you blame? Do you blame Shanahan? Do you blame the, the staff, uh, the medical team? How, how do you explain this injury history? We don't really know how to explain it. But just imagine if they're able to get one season, you know, a top 10 health season across the league. It, it would be incredible to see because we haven't yet seen that from a team that, despite all of that, has still been largely successful. Well, I, I think I'd push back a little bit on not a top 10 health season. Like, yes, at, at maybe the quarterback position, that is absolutely true. They have befallen injuries like no other. But last year, I, mean, I just I just took a quick peek. Like, they had nine members of their defense. They played all 17 games. Like Not, not all of them started. But the amount of health that they had outside of the quarterback position, I think you're right in your original statement, like it was pretty fortunate. And the amount of season ending injuries were pretty few. Uh, I mean, the the biggest one that comes to my mind that happened early in the year that you had to overcome was Emmanuel Mm Mosley. And then the other one, which was not season ending, but was season impacting was probably Elijah Mitchell because you're expecting him to be, if not your starting quarterback, then or sorry, you're starting running back one of them. And so that's why then you got to address that by getting McCaffrey. Uh, I do wonder how much health does kind of stick around this year just because it's the nature of the NFL. So um, I I didn't think that health was that big of an issue for the 49ers outside of, I guess you could argue, the most important position. But then again, they went through three guys and still won 13 games. Uh, So, you know, Kyle Shanahan proved that maybe he could overcome some of those quarterback laden injuries. I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting, Mark. And and it's one thing that I kind of expect to maybe turn in the opposite direction a little bit, but hopefully it's not at the quarterback spot. 
Yeah, no, and I know we're going to move on here in just a second. One one more thing to add. I think this also might be an opportunity, and I know Nick Wagner of ESPN wrote about this uh, earlier this week, I believe, about George Kittle and his injury history and how often he's used, of course, not just when he's catching passes, but he's involved in, in the running game because he's such a great blocker. I think there's an opportunity, or you would hope at least, uh, there's an opportunity for Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers to perhaps pull back a little bit from, you know, giving, putting their guys full tilt, like how many snaps these guys are getting every game. And and the way you hope that that's possible is that you stay relatively healthy to start. You don't feel like you're ever chasing anything. You stay on pace. You get the, you get the season off to a good start. Your first place in the NFC West, wire to wire. You don't feel like you need to turn it on, and you can kind of pace yourself a little bit. I know specifically we've talked about that with Christian McCaffrey. Perhaps you don't need the volume from McCaffrey this season, as you saw the second half of last year, because the 49ers were chasing the NFC West. Then they were chasing the three seed. Then they were chasing the two seed and still potentially chasing the one seed. If the 49ers are in a position where they can pull back on snaps from some of their veteran stars, this is a year, I think, where they absolutely have to take it. That's a big if, because things always go wrong in a football season. But if they have that opportunity, they must do it this year. This is the 415ers podcast, brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. That's Mark Randy. I'm Evan Giddings. Please download the Odyssey app. Check us out there. We're coming at you twice a week here in the offseason, three times a week once the regular season kicks off. Uh, Mark, the, the last thing we kind of talked about along those lines is, you know, or what we want to talk about is what the 49ers will try to do to address some of those unforeseen circumstances. Injuries, uh, guys not performing, you know, a, a maximization of the the win now window, like when they will dive into the trade market or if they will now or later, do you kind of have a, a way where you lean on this? That's a tough one for me because while I, I definitely feel like there are areas that this roster can improve, uh, most notably, I would argue the offensive line uh, jury still probably out on that. And I'm not suggesting any move right now. Um, I think there are areas that this this team can improve, but on the other end, what are you giving up? And given what we just talked about with the age and that there are a number of players getting up there in age, um, are the 49ers willing to continue to trade away young assets? And by young assets, I mean draft picks that will become young assets uh, to try to replenish your roster as you move forward. We've talked so much about the window. I think I think mostly me talk so much about the championship window for this 49ers team this year, next year, maybe one year beyond that. This current core, I think that's it for the San Francisco team. But of course, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and company, they're not just trying to go all in for these three years. It's not like a, a Warriors situation where it seems like they're going all in to try to win with Stephen Curry one more time. That's not the situation here for the 49ers. There is some of that pressure, but nowhere near to the level of the Golden State Warriors with an all-time great like Stephen Curry. So are you willing to potentially give away a future asset that may extend your window, that may give you a better chance to compete beyond your current quote-unquote window? 
I don't know. That, that's a tough one for the 49ers, who are already so talented all across the board as it currently stands. Obviously, they'll be involved. They'll be checking in on things. But if, if you're asking me, are they making a another Christian McCaffrey-like move this season, this offseason, this season, at any point, I would say no. The 49ers finally have their first-round pick back next year. I think they're done giving away big assets like that because they are realizing now you got to start replenishing at some key positions and they've done a good job accumulating draft picks, but not many, of course, recently in the first round, even in the second round. I think that the days of those kinds of big moves are done for the 49ers. I don't think they are. Uh, I, I really don't. I'm not saying that a first round pick is going to be involved in any trade this year, but to think that the 49ers wouldn't go out and try and grab a big name that could help them now, potentially later. And that's exactly what the Christian McCaffrey move did. I don't think is out of bounds at all. And I don't think that a trade is going to come this summer that involves a position of need. Like if we're talking about the offensive line or, you know, maybe the the secondary to me, the, the two maybe weakest spots. I, I don't think a spot a, a trade is coming there, but there's always a big name out there. And it's usually kind of like I would say teams teams ideally try to develop from the inside out, especially the 49ers. But I think you see a lot of teams, especially lately, that have traded or added at the deadline or beforehand from the outside in. So wide receivers, cornerbacks, um, even outside pass rushers. Those are the kind of guys that are usually on the market, bigger names, expensive players, guys towards the end of their careers that are looking for one last shot. I think there's going to be a few of those guys available out there this this season. And I think the 49ers will be wise to take a deep look into them because with all the names of the of the teams that I just named uh, a few minutes ago with aging rosters, all of them had either experienced or pantheon type level quarterbacks the 49ers do not have that so i think if there's a chance for kyle shanahan and john lynch to build a a juggernaut of of pieces around the one that's the most important to try and make up for that inexperience or potentially revolving door if something goes off script this season i think they'll absolutely look at that and i think they'd be willing to pay for that because like you said mark we don't know the the timestamp of this core who knows? It could be 2024 because you have a lot of contracts that either have potential outs or that are upcoming or that you have to pay for. And I think the 49ers are looking at this year as one they need to, to maximize like they tried to do last year. And I think they also know that they'll have picks replenished from D'Amico Ryan's leaving, more residue over from Robert Sala, um, Rand Carthen going to Tennessee you know, minority members of their coaching staff in front office that will help them replenish picks with compensatory uh, selections. I think they know those are coming too, and that would make them more comfortable with giving up a potential, you know, prized pick to upgrade this roster. I think the other thing that maybe would encourage the 49ers to go out there and make another move like you're talking about is the success they've had drafting third, fourth, fifth round. And of course, obviously sixth and seventh Brock Purdy a seventh round pick. I mean, you just look at their starters right now, non first round picks, Talanoa Hufanga, Fred Warner, Dre Green. I mean, it's almost everyone except for Nick Bosa, obviously Trent Williams, 
Um, but they have deep, deep picks. George Kittle was a, a deep pick. Hufanga, Fred Warner, Debo Samuel, uh, Brock Purdy, of course. I know Christian McCaffrey and Trent Williams, they weren't drafted by the 49ers, but those were top picks. Armstead was a top pick. Bosa was a top pick. But they've had so much success drafting in the mid to late rounds, Evan, that it almost feels like, and this this almost feels just totally wrong to say, but it feels like first-round picks mean less to the 49ers than they do to other teams because they have had that ability to find diamonds in the rough later on in the draft. Now, I wouldn't say it's the smartest thing to continue to rely on that, and I'm, I'm probably seeing through 49ers colored goggles here just a little bit because there are examples of every team across the NFL finding really good players later in drafts. But the 49ers have done a pretty good job of that. I don't think anyone would argue. So perhaps it comes down to what do they see from Jair Brown early in this season? Do they get enough confidence that he is their safety of the future? And perhaps they're they're willing to move off of a future first round, second round draft pick because they feel like they've got that spot solidified for years to come. Does Cameron Loftu, the tight end out of out of Alabama, does he appear to be the heir apparent to George Kittle? Do they feel like they have a long-term answer there? Maybe that's where they get swayed one way or the other when they begin to learn a little bit more about some of their recent picks. If they turn out well, hey, maybe then they'd be willing or at least more willing to make another big move, trade a first-round pick, trade two seconds, trade a third, whatever the situation is, if they learn that they have perhaps a little bit more depth already than they thought, maybe it encourages them to try to go, as you said, even more all in this coming year. Uh, and, and the last thing I'll say about this, because I know we got to wrap, to me, it just it just comes down to what are the picks that you need to pay? Like You, you have to pay first-round picks. You want to pay first-round picks. You have to pay. You want to pay second-round, third-round third picks. You don't really have to pay that first big contract a whole lot of money usually for a fifth rounder unless they're doing George Kittle type things, which is resetting tight end records. <laughs> like, and even then, it's probably more suppressed than if George Kittle was selected in the first round. So, to me, yes, it's it's also look. We got a lot of first round caliber guys on our roster that we got to pay regardless. We don't need more first round picks that we're going to have to pay in three years when we don't know what this team's going to be. We would rather kind of sprinkle things around, use those picks to upgrade this roster now, already pay guys, and then around the margins, pay the fifth rounders, the sixth rounders, all those kind of guys. You're playing with fire, but that's to yeah. me where they're also looking at it. Yeah, no, I, that's what I was going to say. I was say you're playing a dangerous game because if suddenly you, you, you start missing on some later round picks or they're not all that you thought they were going to be in a few years when you already have so much money tied up to Nick Bosa to, you know, Brandon Ayuk potentially, or maybe you keep on, you keep hanging on to Debo Samuel. You're going to pay Talanoa Hufunga coming up. Dre Greenlaw might be getting a, a big contract to decide on Fred Warner's future. Suddenly you might be out of luck and you're kind of in a lightweight Rams situation where the Rams have almost no future assets. They start selling off their stars to get some draft picks back and you're in almost a full on rebuild. The 49ers will try to, avoid that but it does seem like they have uh, assets definitely more than than the rams do young controllable assets more so than the rams it's not like their quarterback 
their best defensive player are at the age of Stafford and Aaron Donald. So I'm not at all saying that this is in danger of becoming a Rams situation. However, the Rams did get a Super Bowl out of it, but the 49ers are kind of playing that that balancing game where you just have to decide how much you go for it, how much you, you kind of peel back and make sure you're not completely emptying the cabinet for future years. Yep, and that's going to wrap up this episode of the 415ers podcast. Appreciate you tuning in on the Aussie Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. That's Mark Grandy. I'm Evan Giddings. Appreciate you tuning in to two episodes this week. Got two more coming for you next week. Please download that Aussie app. Subscribe to the YouTube channel for 95.7 The Game. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you next time.